When we come to this time of year, every year we kind of focus and we stop as people and uh, we um, get ready for that day, <laughs> Thanksgiving Day, right? And you're probably already planning your menus and all that stuff. But I just thought we'd do a couple messages to prepare our hearts for uh, what God has for us. And it's been a crazy year and sometimes it's good to stop and to refocus on uh, kind of what's important. And so I title this message, it'll probably be today and next week, Thanksgiving for what really matters. Thanksgiving for what really matters. And so um, I would ask that you uh, stand in honor of God's word as we're going to read verses 1 through 14. We're just going to focus on 12 to 14. But um, as we uh, turn our hearts here to Colossians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as is also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then our text for today and next week, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that you bless it to our hearts, open our eyes and our minds through the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, just a little background here. It's always good to fully understand um, why this letter was written and who wrote it and to whom. And so, um, just a couple, a couple things. This is probably um, the first of Paul's prison epistles. It's probably the first one he wrote. Some people say he wrote it around 60, 62, um, but he wrote it in prison. They're all called the prison epistles. And it was uh, written to a church, a group of people, at Colossae. Um, now, this... This church wasn't founded by Paul, and there's uh, no record, really, that he even visited this church. Uh, it was founded probably by Epaphras, um, and uh, a couple people who were from Colossae were Philemon. We've heard of him, and Onesimus. Um, also, it was written to these people as a way of encouraging the believers in Colossae. And uh, they were growing spiritually in their walk. But they were also uh, being confronted with a lot of uh, heretical teaching. A lot of false teaching was creeping into the church. And it seemed to undermine the, a couple things, the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And so those two things were kind of in Paul's mind when he wrote this, this letter to them. And it's written very similar. If you read the, the book of Ephesians, it's a very similar style. Um, and so this city, a little bit about the city itself, this profile of the city, it's located about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and uh, together with Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, they're all part of that 
that tri-city Lycus Valley, uh, which is now we, we know as south-central Turkey. As a matter of fact, several years ago when my wife and I were blessed to go over there um, with David Hawking, we went to Turkey and we visited um, the seven churches of Revelation, at least the places where they were. And some of them, they actually had buildings there, and some of them were actual buildings from that time, which is just amazing to think that, wow, Paul was here physically. I mean, he stood on that stone, you know, and then other ones, it was just a mound of dirt. There was nothing there at all. But um, for the most part, it was a very interesting time to realize that. And so it was part of these, these different cities. It was known for manufacturing, exporting wool products, uh, they were the basic things. Now, who wrote this book? Paul wrote it. Uh, he was, we know, Jewish born in Tarsus, and um, that's really near the Lebanese border in modern Turkey. He's a Roman citizen, and uh, he was very um, highly educated in Judaism. He was a Pharisee, so that put him up above most people. And he was dramatically converted to Christianity, some people say around eighty. 35, something like that, on the road to Damascus. And uh, he was the primary apostle to the Gentiles. We know him as a, a tireless missionary. His task was never complete. Even when he was in prison, he continued. He just didn't give up. He just continued uh, to minister. He was tireless. Um, and then he was in prison, finally in Rome, in about A.D. 67, during Nero's reign. And he died in prison about a year later, in uh, 68 is what they say. But that's a little bit about a background, just so we know when we read these verses, it kind of gives us a setting in which to put the verses. Uh, but let's turn our hearts to the subject of thanksgiving. I think every year we come to this time of year, um, you know, you feel the coolness of the air outside, crisp mornings, right? You get a little frost on your wind, windows this last week. Um, the, the leaves are falling, um, the home back in Pennsylvania is just covered with leaves. Luckily, we have a gentleman who's helping me <laughs> gather these leaves. But every day, just you know, like a foot of leaves because there's so many trees. It's crazy. Um, but you know, this is the time of year where we begin to prepare our hearts for that day of Thanksgiving. We refer to it as right. And uh, what our country usually uh, does on, on Thanksgiving Day is you gather. Uh, with family and friends, probably, or maybe by yourself, whatever. But you usually have a meal. Um, the tradition is turkey. But, you know, you can have whatever. You can have roast beef, you can have ham, you can have duck, you can have lamb. For those vegetarians out there, you can even have vegetables. It's okay. The emphasis isn't on the food, but that's where we put it, right? But... But see, most of us have a meal with family and friends, and, and usually at the beginning of the meal on that day, as you're sitting around, someone will pause, right, and say, well, let's give thanks. And you pray. And you ask God to bless, um, you know, the, the, your time together. You, you praise God for his provision. Um, usually it's, you're giving thanks, uh, sometimes, depending on what you're about to eat, um, you may ask someone to actually pray for the literal food. Okay, I've heard some stories of you when you've gone to different people's houses to eat, and it's like, I can't believe they served this, you know. So you need to pray for the food, right? Well, that, that's the case sometimes. Um, it reminds me of a, of a gentleman who, whenever his wife, they sit, would sit down at the table, he would sit down, he had a wonderful wife, and she, he, she was always cooking just wonderful meals for her family. And he just had a habit. He got into a habit when he'd sit down and he's waiting for the food to come and she'd start bringing the food. He just started grumbling. He would just start complaining about the food even before he even ate it. And you can imagine how discouraging that must have been for his wife. And he was just always complaining. And then after, everyone would sit down and then he would ask for the blessing. And he would say the blessing. And one day, um, his little girl kind of after the blessing, he said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure, honey, what, what is it? And he was a good man. He just got into this habit of constantly complaining about what was being served to him. She said, Daddy, does God hear us when we pray? And he looked at her and he said, well, of course he does. God, God hears everything. He hears us every time we pray. 
She paused for a moment, looking at her mashed potatoes, and she said, but does he hear everything that we say the rest of the time? And he looked at her, and he said, well, yes, he's God. He hears every little word. And encouraged that he had inspired his daughter to be curious about spiritual matters, his pride was quickly turned into humility at his daughter's next question. Because she said, then which one does he believe? See, sometimes we don't have a good attitude of thanksgiving. Um, Growing up in a Roman Catholic family, our prayer for the food was always exactly the same. Most of you who have grown up in a Roman Catholic family probably know the prayer by heart. Blessed the Lord, for these I guess which you're about to receive from my bounty through Christ the Lord. Amen. You usually start off with the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our family, we prayed that prayer exactly the same way every time we sat down to eat a meal. Every time. It wasn't something really we even thought about, to be honest. It was just something we had to get out of the way before we could eat the food. I remember once when I was younger being at a friend's house, I usually didn't go to a friend's house for dinner because they always would come to our house. But I, occasion I was at their house for dinner. I don't even know what the occasion was, but I was younger. And I remember we were outside playing, and the mother yelled outside, you boys get cleaned up, wash your hands, wash your hands. You know, you always had to wash your hands before you ate, right? As a kid, you didn't know what you were handling. So we came in, washed our hands, we're all sitting around the table, and I remember the lady bringing, the mother bringing out all the food, and we're all sitting there, and he had, you know, a couple brothers and a couple sisters, and dad and mom were all sitting around the table. And I was sitting just there with the rest of the kids. And just automatically, I just kind of, Went like this and bowed my head, right? And it was kind of a very awkward moment for me because I remember hearing stuff move on the table and I kind of opened my eyes. I mean, they're just, they're just digging in, right? I mean, they're just going for it. And uh, I remember feeling kind of embarrassed, like, oh, I, what are they doing? They're not going to pray. And um, what happened was it was one of those very, very awkward moments and, and the mother kind of responded like scolding the dad and the children. What are you doing? You know we always pray before we... And they're like, what? You know, like, I don't think so. What are you talking about? You know, and, and I remember the mom just sticking to it. And then finally she turned to me as they're all stunned, like... <laughs> and she said, Stevie, because that's what they used to call me when I was little. Stevie, would you like to say the blessing? And I, without it, without even a hesitation, sure, you know, and the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, bless the Lord, please, I guess what you're about to receive from my body, the Christ, Lord, amen. All right, let's eat. It was just that automatic. It went, I didn't even have to think about it. And sometimes I think in our lives, Thanksgiving can become like that. And I'm not talking about the holiday, mind you, right? Sometimes we don't even think about or even consider giving thanks. Probably for most of us, the one time a year when we really focus on any kind of Thanksgiving, at least in our country, is that day, right? Thanksgiving Day. We're forced to kind of focus on it. And most of us have been around the Thanksgiving table. We prayed for the food. We ate the food. And usually before the dessert comes out, there's kind of a lull, you know. They're clearing the dishes and everybody's just sitting there staring at each other. And usually somebody will say, I know what would be nice. Why don't we go around the table and everybody say what they're thankful for? And that's a good thing, right? It's a very good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Tell us what you're thankful for and why. And I always thought, you know, if you go early in that deal, it's pretty easy, right? You just say what's ever on your heart. But, you know, the longer around the table, the more people say things. You don't just want to repeat, yeah, yeah, ditto. You know, you don't want to say that, so you've got to come up with something new, right? And so you're constantly thinking, and you're thinking, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say when it comes to my turn? And it's a very good practice because it does cause us to stop and to pause. And you actually have to think about, for a change, 
what you're thankful for and why. Um, in all the years of my life, it's only 60, but still, all the years at Thanksgiving table, when that's been done, when someone said, why don't we share? I've never, maybe you have, I have never had someone say, I'm not thankful for nothing. Nothing. Zero. Zip. They always kind of come up with something. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for the food reading. I'm thankful for the house over the roof over my head. I'm thankful for the clothes. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for my car. You can go on and on and on ad nauseum for what we're thankful for, and they're all good things. But see, giving thanks is too often, I think, demoted to second place in the prayers of God's people. Our attitude in approaching God is often like Proverbs 30, 30, 15 talks about the leech's daughters, you know, give, 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 give. God, I want this, I want that. We've got to make our needs known to God. We're just always, always asking God for something. And we're quick to make our request, but you know what? We're slow, I think, to pause and to thank God when he answers our prayers. Because God so often answers our prayers, sometimes we come to just expect it. Well, that's what God does. We forget that it's only by his right grace that we receive anything from him. It's only by his grace. And the Bible over and over stresses the importance of giving thanks in our lives. In Psalm 50, verse 14, it says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Or in Psalm 107, verses 21 to 22, it says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. That's what we just kind of did, right? Or in Psalm 92, 1, it says, It's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. You can go on and on, psalm after psalm, and find where we're instructed to give thanks. Even in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, verse 20, it says, Always giving thanks, Paul writes, for the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Or in Colossians chapter 3, just a couple pages over in your Bibles, verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says what? Giving thanks through him to God our Father. Or in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then let us continually, it says, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. See, this should just be a way of life, especially for the believer. But for all people, thanksgiving should permeate our speech, our songs, our prayers. Even our Lord knew how important it was. To give thanks. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to these babes before feeding the 5,000. In John 6, verse 11, it says, Jesus took the loaves and having, having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Or in John eleven forty one. Just before he, wrote, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead, it says Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, what? I thank you that you heard me. See, Jesus himself allows us to see the importance of giving thanksgiving. What's interesting, in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 11, it tells us even the angels give thanks It says, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and there it is, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
The word of God is very clear that we should be giving thanks. Paul says that over and over in his, his uh, epistles. And it's especially true for us as Christians, as believers, as those who have follow, follows, follow Christ. And so that's the subject of this two little messages here. Thanksgiving for what really matters, because we are called on to be thankful. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, In everything to give thanks, guess what? For this is the will of God. I mentioned uh, Wednesday night, we did a little thing on Thanksgiving, and I was mentioning if you're wondering what the will of God is for you, so many people, well, I wonder what the will of God is, I wonder what the will of God is. It tells us very clearly in the Bible what his will is. We don't have to guess. Just read the verses, and that's one of the verses. First Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. We're to be thankful for everything, thankful always. And all these things that we're thankful for, they're good things. The primary point of thanksgiving for a believer, the, the main reason that we should be praising God is what? Is our salvation. And so many times we lose sight of that, that he saved us. I mean, everything else as far as the Thanksgiving table should be secondary. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his what? Indescribable gift. Speaking of salvation. Salvation is such an incredible gift, we can't even describe it. And that is the gift of salvation in his son. And all the way at the end of the the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, we'll get there eventually, verse 57, Paul says, Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's speaking of our salvation. See, the focal point, I think, of our thanksgiving is on the purpose and the work as believers the purpose and the work of Jesus Christ. Early on in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you. Why? For the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. So being thankful for our own salvation is something God instructs us to do. We're, we're even instructed to be thankful for other people's salvation. For the work of God in our life and in others' lives. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. I mean, we're on the winning team. Amen? I mean, we, we, we have a tendency sometimes to forget that. Because sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Well, in addition to all those positive things, the Bible speaks of people who don't give God thanks. Um, Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that failing to give thanks really is characteristic of someone who is wicked, someone who is of this world. In in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he's really indicting the world of unbelievers, if you read through Romans 1, it's kind of like read the newspaper. It's kind of crazy. But in verse 21, it says, Even though they knew God, they knew who God was, they did not honor him as God, and then what? Nor give him thanks. Evil men are marked by ungratefulness. You see that in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. You see it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So the indication is we should always, always thank God for many things. And Scripture instructs us to thank God for many things, but I think primarily on the list, and you can just kind of jot these three couple things down here, we're, we're to thank Him for who He is. Do you ever thank God for who He is? His incredible power? His omniscience? The characteristics that make Him God? Psalm 30, verse 4 says, Sing praise to the Lord you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Aren't, aren't, aren't you glad that our God is a holy God? Think of our God wasn't a holy God. 
and he was all-powerful. We'd be in a world of hurt. But see, God is a holy God. He's just. He's good. He's loving. He's gracious. But he's also holy. We should thank him for who he is. A good study to do for any believer is to go through a study of the attributes of God. And you can't really do it conclusively because you can never stop. I mean, it's just incredible. But when you begin to understand who the God is that you are worshiping, that helps you in your spiritual growth. That helps you keep things in perspective. Well, we should not only just thank him for who he is, but we should also thank him for his, his nearness to us. His nearness to us. Psalm 75, verse 1, it says, We give thanks to thee, O God, we give thanks, for thy name is near. See, the world would have us that if they believe in God at all, they believe in a distant God. They believe a God that kind of started everything and just stepped away, right? And kind of said, yeah, you're on your own. (laughs) Um, That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is an intimate God. The God of the Bible, and we know that because when God created us, okay, he, he created us with certain personalities, with certain looks, with certain characteristics, with certain attitudes. We're all different. We all look at life through a different lens. Why is that? Because God just didn't say, okay, I'm going to make a bunch of clones. <laughs> Boom, there. They're the men and women. They're all the same. No, we're all different. It speaks of him wanting to be involved intimately. I mean, the idea that he even had Adam name all the animals. I don't know if I would have patience for that, to be honest. I'd be like, what? Just call them animals, you know? Who cares what their name is? Platypus. I mean, think about it. I mean, some of the weird names they came up with. So, I mean, when you think of, you know, God, thank him for his nearness, that he is a God who wants to be near, nearer to his people, so much so that what he do when he realized that sin had affected his nearness to us, right? It broke that fellowship that we had with God. What did he do? He just didn't say, oh, well, I'll just be a distant God now. No, he made a path, right? He provided a way that we can still hold him near, and that's through the cross of Christ. His son came down, lived a perfect life, went to Calvary and and paid for the sins of all those who would put their faith, their trust in Christ in order to be near to their God and creator. Theologically, what he reconciled us, he brought us back to a proper relationship with the God who created us. So we thank God for who he is. We thank him for his nearness. But I think we also should give thanks to God not just for his salvation that he provides for us, but also, do you ever think of this? For the opportunity you have to serve him. I mean, what a wonderful thing that we're included somehow in this process of winning men and women and children to Christ. I mean, God could have just, you know, went boom, you know, the people that are saved are saved, the people that aren't, there aren't, and you're not going to affect any change in that. And by the way, you have nothing to do with anything, so just... um, Sit down there and be fat, dumb, and happy until I return for you. But he didn't do that. He said, no, I want you to be part of this. You know, he's a God of inclusion. He wants us to participate. We need to thank him for his opportunity to serve. That's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor. See, Paul's understanding is, I don't deserve this. And a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Thank God that he saves us. Thank God that he allows us opportunity to serve. I... When I go back to my hometown, sometimes they have, the last thing we had, there was a funeral for my sister, but at the funeral, I met one of my friends from high school. And, you know, you share with him what you're doing now, and they're like, what? You're doing what? You're a pastor of a church? And my other brother, who's a pastor, more so for, 
for him, really. Um, I mean, people can't believe because of his testimony. You know, he was pretty bad before he came to Christ, <laughs> to put it mildly. And so now they see him as a pastor, and they're like, what? See, you should thank God that he includes us in this. The apostle also gives thanks for the, the spiritual Growth of others, not just salvation, but growth. He says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. <clears throat> and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Do you ever notice how in the body of Christ, I mean, the longer you fellowship together, the longer you're together, it, it really does become like a family. It really does. And, you know, that's what I like about, to be honest, pastoring a smaller church is that family is even more intimate. You know, you don't have a thousand people to keep up with. You got 50, you know, it's just, and you, you see the relationships and you see the interaction and we should just be thanking God for that. Because you see each other grow in their faith. We see each other grow in their sanctification over the years. I mean, when I think back of some of the, the people that walked through those doors initially, I think of some people, it's like, wow. I mean, God, they really needed God. <laughs> I mean, to say it mildly, right? And you don't know what's going to happen. They're angry, they're bitter, they're just, you can see it on their face. Family's a mess. And yet, they subject themselves to the Spirit of God, to the, the Word of God, the truth of God. They come to Christ, and it's like they're a whole new person. It's like you want to have a picture when they're angry and when they're saved, because it's that just that big of a difference. It's truly amazing. And then you see God begin to put together their fractured family and marriage and life. And, and he molds it and shapes it and he puts it back. And, and then you find out, wow, years later, long moves on from our church. But they're serving the Lord in another church. And they're not perfect. But you know what? God is blessing them because he's what? He's, he's causing them to grow. I mean, we even give thanks for mundane things like food. We're called to do that. Um, but I think most of all, as Christians, we should be thankful for the work of Christ. It's that indescribable gift that he gives to us. So when it comes to being thankful, we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? And most of all, as believers, we should be thankful for our salvation. That's the primary thing. And that's really the attitude here that Paul is trying to bring across in Colossians chapter 1. When we get to our text here in verse 12, he says there very clearly, he says, giving thanks to who? To the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. For what? Well, he lists basically three things here. We should give thanks to the Father for our inheritance, first of all. Secondly, for our deliverance. <clears throat> and then thirdly, for our transference. They're right there in the verses. But I think if you, if you look at those verses, 12 to 14, there's a lot of words there. There's a lot of phrases and they all have to do with our salvation. If you look at it, just, just look at it, that, those verses for a second, 12 to 14. He qualified us. It says we, we're sharing the, the inheritance he talks about. He talks about being saints. He talks about dwelling in light. He talks about being transferred. That's a transference into the kingdom of his son. It says that we receive redemption, the forgiveness of sin. But all those things are, are basically words that describe our salvation. And really at the heart of those two, two or three verses there, 12, 13, and 14, is in verse 13 where he talks about he has delivered us. He has delivered us. I mean, the reason we give thanks to God for our salvation is because what did he do? He delivered us from the domain of darkness, it says. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But 
just to remind you, he's taken us out of darkness, and what did he do? He transferred us into the light. We've been moved from the kingdom of darkness, who is run by who? By Satan, right? And now we are part of the kingdom of God and Christ. And because of that, we're qualified now. We weren't qualified before, but now we're, we're qualified to share in the inheritance that God gives. So we received redemption. We received the forgiveness of our sins. And that's really the heart of the gospel, is it not? We're delivered from darkness, transferred into the, the kingdom of his beloved son. And that involves redemption, forgiveness, being qualified to share. It involves inheritance. It involves sainthood. When he says their father, giving thanks to the father, it really emphasizes that personal aspect, that relational aspect of our union with God. See, a lot of people don't have and weren't blessed maybe with a a good relationship between them and their father. Um, and so sometimes that can bleed over and affect your view of God. And I've met people, frankly, I don't, I don't want to deal with God because my father did this, or my father did that, or my father was angry, or my father, and go on and on. And, and they view God as an image of their own personal father. And so they, their heart turns bitter to God. But see, here Paul is emphasizing that personal relational aspect that we have with God because of Christ. Remember, before our salvation, who was God to us? He was an enemy, right? He was our judge, the Bible says. See, we stood, what, condemned before him. Why? Because we violated his law. But it's only through the grace of God. It's through faith because we've, we placed our faith in Christ that God ceased from being our, our sentencing judge, you might say, and he has become our gracious heavenly father. And not only has God become our father, but he's adopted us as his sons. That's why he is our father. But he also, it says here, qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, some translations read, he made us fit, or he, he suited us for this inheritance. But literally, the word literally means to be qualified. It means to be made sufficient, to empower, to authorize, to make and that's what God has done it says they're giving thanks to the father who has qualified you you not your family not your church <laughs> you it's an individual qualification in fact you could translate that to be given the title of to be privileged, to enter into the, the position or the right. It doesn't refer to you. It doesn't refer to character. It doesn't really re refer to nature. It refers more to a title, to a right. I mean, we don't deserve to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. We do not deserve that. By our nature, by our character, Guess what? We would be disqualified. But we thank God the Father because he qualified us. It's a very unusual verb, by the way, in the original language. It's only used one other time in the, in the entire New Testament. Well, how were you qualified? Because we weren't qualified by our works, were we? We weren't qualified by our good deeds. 
We, we couldn't be qualified by our religiosity. As a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that we were qualified when we were unqualified. <laughs> God qualified us when we were unqualified. And we would have continued to be eternally unqualified had God not reached down and touched our hearts and touched our lives with his grace, with his mercy. And what did he do? He, he justified us. Right? Another theological word. But it's something God has to do. He, he made us right with him. Not based on us, but based on the work of Christ. Literally, he declared us righteous. Not because of our own righteousness, but because he said, you know what? You have trusted in my son and his work on Calvary, so I'm going to take his righteousness that he has, because he's God, and I'm going to give it to you, and he's going to take all of your sin. It's an imputed righteousness. So we became qualified because God credited to us really the the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus Christ. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And just to kind of spend a little time here because it's so important to understand all that we're to be thankful for. Ephesians chapter 2. If you look at verse 11, it tells us where we were. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh. Remember, it says in verse 12, that you were at that time, what's it say? Separated, right? From Christ. Separated. You ever had a child, or maybe when you were little, you got separated from your parents. You got lost, right? Not a good feeling. It's not good to be separated. Remember that you were separated at that time from Christ. And then it says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were estranged. And he says, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And because of that, you had no hope. And you were without God in the world. I mean, that, that indicates where we were. That indicates why we needed God to step in. Because there is no hope for us. But look at what it says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, in other words, something changed. There was some form of transaction that changed your standing before God. And that is placing your faith, your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he says, but now in Christ Jesus, look at you who once were far off. That's why he calls us alienated and distant and separated. You were once far off. Look at what it says, have been brought, what? Near, near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Jew and Gentile, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off. There's that word again. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built, continually built 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I mean, God did all that for us. He did all that for us. And he tells us very clearly that we were without hope. We were stateless. We were separated. We were aliens. Over and over he says that. And even down in, over in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. Look at these. These are a real blessing. This is just doubles down on this condition we had. He says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Gentiles is a way of unbelieving, unbelievers. That's, that's the thinking. In the futility, it says, of their mind. The futility. That word speaks of emptiness. It speaks of vanity. It speaks of useless self-centeredness. You can have the idea of being ignorant. It says, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for, every, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. See, that's, that's indicative of someone who is outside of Christ. Not a good place to be. But now that we are in Christ, once we put our faith, our trust in Christ... Because everybody else is Christless or stateless or covenantless, hopeless, godless, self-centered, ignorant, shameless, reprobate in every way. That's our fallen condition, right? That's the depravity of man. I mean, no wonder Paul says in Colossians 1, giving thanks to Father who... Seeing us in that unqualified condition, what did he do? He qualified us. We didn't deserve it. How did he do that? Well, we're back to that wonderful word, word justification. He declared us righteous by imputing the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is this inheritance that he's talking about? Well, in a word, it's eternal life. It's salvation. It's everything that is involved in that. Eternal joy, eternal pleasure, eternal delight, eternal worship, eternal service, bliss, protection, righteousness. All those wonderful things are are part of that. And how is such an incredible inheritance given to such an unqualified people. Because God determined to do it in order that he would receive the glory. He would receive the glory. You see, he receives that glory when we express our what? Our thanksgiving to him. And you see here in verse Verse 12, this aspect of, of being qualified, but he, he, he says this inheritance that you have is something that you share. You share. It's a common inheritance among many, among all who have put their faith or trust in Christ. And he is, he wants us to be saints in the light. Saint means someone who's set apart. You see, in verse 12, we're qualified, which is 
the aspect of justification, declared righteous. And in verse 13, we're delivered. We're delivered. You say, well, what happens first? They kind of happen in parallel. You know, it always cracks me up when people argue about the order of salvation, right? Well, what happens first? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's God's deal anyway, right? I mean, how, how could we make sense of it? We don't even deserve to be saved. But the idea here that we are now share in the inheritance of the saints of light. In the Old Testament, darkness is what? A sign of what? Judgment, right? And that's where we were. Um, remember one of the plagues in Egypt was what? Darkness. There was darkness over the face of the earth. I remember when we had that real bad smoke month or so ago, remember? And it was dark at noontime. Orange, everybody's going, wow, what's happening? People were legitimately concerned, right? I mean, that was weird. And we remember the pillar of, of, of cloud was darkness to the Egyptians. It was a sign of darkness, but to the believers, to those who were a part of Israel, it was light. Only God could deliver them. But God certainly has delivered, delivered us. He's given us this inheritance to share in. And I think that, you know, when we stop and we begin to think about thanksgiving, I think one of the first things that we should be thankful for is what? Our salvation, right? Our salvation, the idea that he is able and willing to give us all things in Christ Jesus not because of who we are. He takes someone who's unqualified and he makes them qualified. He takes someone who's poor and what does he do? He, he makes them rich with an inheritance that's beyond belief. It involves taking someone who is unholy and turning them into saints. Removing them from darkness and what? Bringing them into the light. See, we're talking about these things, and sometimes we forget when we come to Christ what exactly happens. Um, I think we grow complacent in our Christianity. You know, we 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 mildly approve of Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Joyful Christian, wrote this. We may note in passing that Jesus was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. And here's what he says. Number one, hatred. Hatred. Number two, terror. And number three, adoration. It's one of the three. When you're face to face with Christ. He goes on, he goes, there's no trace of people expressing mild approval. Well, isn't that Jesus just a wonderful moral teacher? Maybe we could have him over for a cup of coffee or tea. Mild approval. Mild approval is what you give a book that you just read. Mild approval is something that you give to a film that maybe you just watched or a restaurant you visited. I mean, mild approval is good, to be sure, right? It's good. But mild approval is not a, a rave review. It's not five stars. It's like, yeah, it was okay. I don't know if I'd go back or not. It's nothing really to get excited about. It's casual. It's restrained. Let me tell you this. It's impossible for someone to give Jesus Christ mild approval when they completely understand who he is. Because Jesus Christ can be ignored <laughs> Or he can be adored. 
But you can't just give him mild approval. Why? Because he's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's our judge. You can't be casual about those things. And Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that Jesus has the right of absolute supremacy because of who he is and what he's done. Absolute supremacy. That means he is to have first place in everything. That means Jesus deserves preeminence in our life. Not just prominence. Not just mild approval. And we have to be on guard, beloved, that anything, we should not allow anything to occupy the place in our lives which only Christ, our Lord and Savior, deserves. That's why he is, what, Lord. And we have to be on guard against the subtle danger of allowing Jesus a place of equal standing along with all the other good things in our lives, our children and our wives and our families and our jobs and everything else. See, it's the good things a lot of times that nudge Jesus out of the, out of the picture. It's not the bad things. It's the good things. Ministry, religious activity, when that takes the utmost importance in somebody's life, they've nudged Jesus out of the picture. Our children, we want to be good parents, don't get me wrong, but you know what? Our children should not have top spot in our lives. Our spouses can be idolized. The acquisition of stuff, achievement, all those things, status, they, they can become the things we, we live for. And, and none of those things are bad, right? I mean, we're not just to sit around and do nothing. But if Jesus stands in line behind or beside any of them, what are we doing? We're giving Jesus mild approval. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the eternal creator, the powerful sustainer of the universe. He's our redeemer whose death rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into this kingdom of light. We may ignore him, but we should adore him. But mild approval? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, next week, we'll look at the aspect of being delivered and being transferred and how they fit into our thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have um, given us an inheritance beyond belief. And it's not because we deserve it, but you qualified us to deserve it. And Lord, we thank you that the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, makes our salvation possible. Without it, we would still be lost in darkness. Lord, I pray for each heart that's gathered here today, whether you're here personally or whether you're listening to this message on the internet or Facebook or YouTube. Father, we pray that you would speak truth into the hearts of these individuals, that you would show them their need of a Savior, that you would show them the gravity of their own sin before a holy God. And Lord, that they would desire to be reconciled, to be brought back into a proper relationship with their God and Creator. And that can only happen through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray now that you would draw them to yourself, that you would cause them to cry out for forgiveness for their sin. That they would turn from their sin to the Savior. It's called repentance. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. God, we pray that you would affect change in their life now. Give them a complete dissatisfaction with their life outside of Christ. Father, that you would cause them to desire more. And Father, you would draw them to your Son. Lord, as believers, we pray that you would remind us of what we need to be thankful for. And the main thing is our salvation. 
that you've so graciously saved us from an eternal hopelessness. And Father, you've given us purpose and standing before you. And you give us the privilege of living here on this beautiful earth that you've created. And yeah, it gets dicey at times, but God, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word, you've given us your church, you've given us everything we need to get through the next day. And Lord, help us to do that with a heart of thanksgiving. The spirit of praise in our hearts. Lord, help us not to live like we have no hope. But help us to live because we know the only one that can give hope for all eternity. We thank you and we praise you. And if there's anyone here who's yet to cry out to you, Lord, I pray that they would do just that. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Pray that you would do that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.